Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Listeners should refer to the disclaimer in the episode notes and at the end of this podcast. We're big believers that if businesses can show they're growing revenue and hopefully that they are profitable, yes, it's good from a quantitative point of view, but more from a qualitative point of view that they can show that they do have a sustainable competitive advantage. They've been able to nurture that and mature and grow. I think it's also very important that we want to see a business continue to reinvest in that competitive advantage. There are many businesses out there that get a little bit ahead of themselves and then all of a sudden, three years later, they realise, well, we haven't been spending money to keep our competitive advantage and that can unravel pretty quickly. G'day and welcome back to Equity ASA, brought to you by the Australian Shareholders Association. I'm Phil Muscatello. Investing in public equities can take on many different forms, strategies and timeframes. But what would happen if, God forbid, the market closed today and didn't reopen tomorrow? Our guest today believes that adopting this mentality can be a valuable way of thinking for investors to compound returns over time. Hello, Sebastian. Thanks uh, for the opportunity to be here. Thanks for coming on. Now, Sebastian Evans is the Chief Investment Officer, Managing Director at NAOS Asset Management. Tell us about this thinking that um, the market is going to close tomorrow. How does this work? Yeah, interesting one. I think um, we're clearly an outlier because, as you would know, even in my career, I mean, information is just so freely available and so up to date, everyone probably takes a much shorter term view of investing. I think the way I was sort of mentored or taught to invest was very different. I think arguably you could say I was probably scarred from the GFC and I think, you know, we probably use that experience to shape our investment beliefs and philosophy. But essentially it means, you know, I think when you go through periods of economic distress and you know, lack of liquidity, businesses really need to rely on their own ability to fund themselves and to grow and to survive essentially. And that's what we're really looking for. We're not really looking for businesses that, you know, there's many businesses today, as you would know, that are very reliant on seeking capital, you know, every six or 12 months or 18 months, whether it's debt or equity. And that's sustainable in, in a time such as the times we're in today when you know, there's so much capital in the system, but that doesn't necessarily make them a good business over the longer term. So we're really looking for businesses that have a sustainable competitive advantage, capital light, can fund their own research and development, continue to innovate, and then hopefully over the longer term, compound you know, investors, shareholders' funds. So how were you scarred by the GFC? Oh, look, I'm a very strange occurrence in the world of funds management. You won't hear a story like it. So I've been at NAOS my whole working career. I'm 34. This is my 15th year. So I started at NAOS as an analyst in 07. Fantastic timing. We're only a small fund. The GFC obviously occurred the following year. 
And uh, our business almost went out the back door. And then I was lucky enough for family and friends to buy out what was left when it was a very small business. Uh, but essentially, I think, you know, what comes to mind, and I can give you some fantastic examples, you know, like I remember AMA Group, which is, you know, a very large panel beating business. You know, I remember going to the down at Circular Key where they had a shareholders meeting, I think, and a creditors meeting. And I think at that stage, the stock went from a dollar to two cents. They were lucky enough to survive. But there were many businesses that weren't. And I'm sure you can remember what happened to all the REITs and all the REITs had to raise emergency capital. Even the banks had to raise emergency capital. And a lot of businesses didn't survive. And I think, you know, from my perspective, the thing that just hits me most is when you look at funds management and just investing personally, even for a beginner investor, it's not so much your gains in my view that your winners that make you. It's your ability to prevent a permanent capital loss event. And a lot of people will disagree with that. But just I think when you're investing in listed businesses, if you can minimize those permanent capital loss events over the longer term, it makes it so much easier to compound capital at a reasonable rate. And hence why we look for businesses that you know do have proper balance sheets, balance sheets do make positive cash flow, all the boring things that not many people seem to talk about anymore, unfortunately. And so it's all about capital for you as well and capital strength that will um, inform your decision for helping to buy a business that um, you feel is going to be able to survive anything that's thrown at it. Yeah, exactly. And I think in today's environment, I'm sure like many of your listeners, everyone I think is very comfortable with investing today. But hypothetically, if we went into a GFC scenario, and I'm not saying we, we would, It'd be very interesting to see how many people can withstand the pain of seeing shares down 30, 40, 50, 60, 70%. It's a hard feeling to take, but it's one that's much easier to take if you feel that that investment can come out the other side. But if you don't feel like it can come out the side, then it's a very sick feeling. Yeah. So, um, LICs, why LICs? Yeah, interesting. So, we can safely say that, you know, originally why I did an LIC many, many years ago is because I really couldn't raise money in the funds management world. Obviously, I was quite young. It's quite a bureaucratic and um, how do you say this politely? You got to go through a lot of hoops to raise money through platforms and things like that, which at that time were all bank owned. So, we were the first lick to list after Chris Mackay's lick out of Magellan, MFF, which is a very well-known lick. And I think for us, the unique thing about it, two things. I think for us, we felt we're the really only micro-cap focused lick out there. We don't have a peer in our view that's concentrated and has a philosophy like ours. And the other one that really stood out for us is the fact that it's closed capital. The two sides of that argument are, well, people think fund managers are greedy and you're just looking for ways to protect your fees. I've had that argument thrown at me time and time again. But my argument back is um, it's just a fantastic vehicle to take a lot of the noise out of running a funds management business so you can just focus purely on investing. I think people fail to realize that running a funds management business has a big effect on the way you invest. You know, if you want to build scale and you want to build scale quickly, well, that means you can only invest in certain stocks. But for us, because all of our capital is closed, It allows us to say, well, we have a fixed pool of capital. We're not fundraising all the time. We don't need to worry about redemptions or applications even. So we really just need to focus on the investments regardless of the liquidity profile and their size and really just focus on the outcome that we can get for our shareholders. I think it makes it much more simpler and pure in my view. And these investments are way out of the top 50 of the ASX. Before we go into the specifics of the licks themselves, what is it that investors are missing out on if they only confine themselves to the biggest companies on the ASX? 
Yeah, I think you would have had many people come and say this, especially those who probably invest globally. You know, Australia in many ways, you can either say it's blessed or it's disadvantaged. Uh, You know, our our index is very heavily focused on financials and resources and arguably Telstra and Farmers. So, you don't have a great diversification across industry. Obviously, as businesses get bigger, they become conglomerates and they they therefore expand out into different industries. So, you know, I'm trying to think of an example, but say if you wanted exposure to, um, what's a good example? Advertising. Advertising, you know, technology, software as a service. If someone wanted, you know, an exposure to defense, you know, defense spend globally or even domestically, things like that. It's very hard to do in a pure format because unfortunately our market's only 2,000 stocks, but when you get to how many are actually profitable, it's not that many. So there's just not a lot of depth in the industry diversification point of view. And hence, that's what we argue people are missing out on. And to be fair, even in the small cap and micro cap space, it's better, but it's nowhere near as good as what it could be globally. Let's dig into the licks. So you've got three. What are the differences? What are the major differences between the three licks that um, you're offering? Yeah, in many ways, they're actually quite similar. A lot of people ask me this, but I think if we had our time again, we probably would have only had two, unfortunately, because the way it's morphed is they are relatively similar, but that's a good thing. So NCC is our first LIC. It's got a micro cap focus, so it goes to the smallest end of the market. So many fund managers would say micro cap, and that would probably be our biggest investments. But NCC has some businesses in there that only capped at $20, $25 million, so the smallest of the small, essentially. NSC is small cap companies or small cap opportunities, so slightly larger, so around that $150 million level. And then NAC is our small cap mid cap offering. So really the average size investment is about $300 million. So the only difference is is the size of the, the businesses that we invest in. The philosophy is the same. They're all concentrated. So they only have eight to 10 investments each and all a very long-term focus. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. I was interested to see on your website the story about your investment funnel how you search for companies and how you basically decide which companies you're going to invest in. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, it's um, it's one that's never perfect. 
When people look at our investment philosophy and structure, I think the question I always get is, especially as you get this very early on, is you have eight investments, so you must be A, you're mad, B, it's too high risk, it doesn't make sense. The old concentrated portfolio thing, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we're big believers in it because we think people over-diversify and therefore you just get an index-like return, but you're still paying fees, so your return actually becomes less than the index. So we take a highly concentrated portfolio view, but we're well aware because of that we need to have much more rigor around our philosophy and our strategy and the type of businesses that we invest in to reduce that permanent capital loss event. So from our point of view, that's it's really a five-step process. We're really looking for businesses that invest in or have exposure to industries of strength that are conducive of growth. So, you know, I've learned the hard way. Off the top of my head, I can remember this business, but unfortunately I can't remember the name, but they were they were a market leader in printing paper catalogs. So, you know, the great example people use is Aldi. Aldi's a great user of paper catalogs. Coles and Woolworths used to be as well. So, from an investment point of view, it was a highly cash flow generated business. No debt, made a lot of sense, looked cheap. We were an investor and you know, in hindsight, the clear mistake we made was that unfortunately paper catalogs, the market itself was shrinking at a rapid rate. So you know, we've come to the decision very easily, in fact, that you know, it's much easier to grow a revenue line when the tide is, is rising. So the pie is getting bigger, the industry is growing, um, it really reduces that risk from an investment point of view. So we're looking for businesses that operate in industries that are conducive of long-term growth. They've got some tailwinds behind them. Yeah, I know everyone says that, but you know, I think it is extremely important. You know, the other obvious one is you know, we're really looking for a competitive advantage. So we're big believers that if, if businesses can show they're growing revenue and hopefully that they are profitable, yes, it's good from a quantitative point of view, but more from a qualitative point of view that they can show that they do have a sustainable competitive advantage. They've been able to nurture that and mature and grow. And so that's something we always look for. I think it's also very important that we want to see a business continue to reinvest in that competitive advantage. There are many businesses out there that get a little bit ahead of themselves and then all of a sudden three years later they realise, well, we haven't been spending money to keep our competitive advantage and that can unravel pretty quickly. The third point, which is one that's very close to home for us, especially because of our own business, is we're really looking for founder-led businesses where the founder is involved in one way or another. So if you look at most of our investments, the founder will be a large shareholder, will maybe an executive or maybe a director. And people say, well, you know, why? And then from our point of view, it's because they're aligned. You know, they're aligned through ordinary equity ownership, just like we are. And, you know, we're big believers that founders, obviously I'm a founder of this business, is ultimately a lot of the time they are the driving force. You know, it means a lot to them. They want an outcome. They're willing to do whatever it takes to get that outcome and they really take it to the next level. So from our point of view, that's very important. Yeah, they're the ones that are going to be burning the midnight oil just to keep things growing and building. Yeah, exactly. I think they don't get caught up in in a lot of that bureaucracy that can happen with a public business. And then, yeah, the last two are a little softer points that others probably don't talk about too much, but we want a a capital light business, so a business that's not reliant on issuing equity or raising debt time and time again because that can be very hard to sustain. We're looking for a business that can scale without requiring a heap of capital therefore it's compounding your shareholders capital and then the other one which is very important for us as well is generating a positive impact on the environment and society or the community so all of our investments investee companies get a quite a long questionnaire from us now because we've got a full-time esg analyst and the questions are you know what are the benefits you provide to staff members you know it might be maternity leave holiday leave flexibility things like that 
And from us, it's not so much the answers, I suppose, that are that important. It's really they want to drive a culture that is supportive of their long-term ambitions. If your staff aren't happy and your community is not supportive, it becomes much harder to drive growth, as I'm sure you know. If you're spending your time churning through people, it's a serious headwind when you're trying to execute on a strategy and a plan and grow earnings. And longer term, we just feel that, you know, if a business is very focused on providing a positive impact for those issues, such as the environment, the community, then over the longer term, it'll be more of a sustainable business that will get a higher valuation multiple over the longer term as well. Is it difficult to find capital light businesses in this uh, end of the market? Yeah, I think definitely when you're dealing with smaller businesses, you're dealing with higher risk because unfortunately the they're not subscale, but obviously they're smaller, so they'll be more reliant on a few customers. We've got some that are definitely capital light, but the variability of their earnings will be significant because of that customer relationship. They won't have 100 customers. They might have 10. But we can definitely find them, but they're not going to be your REA groups and your, your domains. They're nowhere near that quality. But they can be found. Uh, unfortunately, there just aren't very many of them out there. So you've also got the NAOS Private Opportunities Fund, uh, tell us a little bit about that one. That's not a lick, is it? No, it's a fund, yeah. So we're, we're actually in the middle of fundraising this month. You know, it's definitely been a dream of ours and an ambition of ours to invest in private companies. So in our listed positions, we own 30, 35% of some businesses, we'll appoint a director or an independent director, and we get very close to management and the board and executives to try and understand the business and the machinations of that business. And we feel that translates very well into private investing. The example I've been using all through October, obviously we're raising money, is since I've run NAOS Asset Management, the manager, it's a private public business, I've raised money three times. And it's really hard. It is hard to raise money for a private business. So we're a big believer that between venture capital, I mean, there's a lot of money for venture capital out there if you've got an idea, and private equity that's looking for you know the next business they can take some cost out and list in two years' time. There's a lot of good family and founder-led businesses between those two ends of the market. And we've seen over 100 businesses to date, I'll give you plenty of examples, businesses that would make 5 to $10 million in earnings, but they don't have an exit. You know, there's plenty of baby boomers out there. You know, I'm sure you, you would know some, but they've created these fantastic businesses and they go, oh, well, you know, they were trying to get the kids involved and the kids are like, no, I don't want to do this. I like, I want to trade Bitcoin or I want to, you know, I want to travel the world. I don't want to get into the family business. And then mum and dad are like, well, what do we do? Where do we turn to? Can we do a management buyout? How can we get the team below to buy us out over time? And it doesn't mean it's a bad business. It just means that they don't have the same advantages as listed businesses would. And for us, we think it's just such a unique place to invest because the information we get is much better. They're not beholden to public company rules, so we can get all sorts of detail that we couldn't get in listed businesses. The valuation metrics are much fairer and we can structure our investment. It doesn't have to be done through ordinary equity. It can be done through other other ways or other means such as debt or convertible notes. And we get better industry diversification. So we've seen like a coffee wholesale business, a large surfwear business, a social media business. And if you look at those three, they've all been founder-led, founder-owned, founder-funded and don't have any external capital. So that's the dream. That's the ambition. It's almost pure capitalism, isn't it, in play? Yeah. And it resonates well with our investors. And we've got 8,000 investors because a lot of them have run their own business. So I think it resonates. But they say, well, if I want exposure to this part of the market, where do I go? And there's really nowhere to go. There's nothing out there as a retail investor or a sophisticated investor. So that's the dream and that's the ambition. We really just need to execute. 
You're not an activist investor. You believe in constructive engagement with companies. Tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, I get plenty of constructive engagement from my own shareholders, all 8,000 of them. Look, we make a very big point of getting back to anyone and everyone in our own list of companies. So, I think that's important. You know, running a listed business and having some large stakes in some a number of listed businesses. I think it's important that if you're not going to be supportive of a management team and a strategy, then you really shouldn't be an investor, I think, you know, first and foremost. That doesn't mean you have to agree with everything that a board does or a management team does. And I think there's definitely a level of respect when you own 20%, 30% of a business. So, I think, you know, I'm a big believer in not pointing out the problem unless you have a solution. I think nothing gets me more angry than when someone comes to me with a problem and not a solution. So, I think we're a big believer. So, we're happy to point out the problem, but we need to have a solution as well. So, whether or not that might be in regards to capital management, you know, I think a lot of businesses out there are a little bit not overly sophisticated when it comes to capital management. Even just basic things like, you know, shareholder communications, you know, shareholder communications for a lot of listed businesses are really poor. Disclosure is really poor and the level of consistency is awful. So, we try to help a lot with that. So, we'll sort of help with presentations and things like that, materials and ensuring there is consistency and the right metrics are getting across so people can make their own decision on whether or not it's a good investment. And then board structure, as we said, we don't think we have to be on the board of companies, but we think we can find some excellent independent people who can provide a skill set that they may be sorely lacking. And to be fair, most of the time, the feedback is very good. I think people appreciate the fact that we're willing to be long-term shareholders. They like that. I think a lot of listed businesses are sick of people, of fund managers being a shareholder for six months and then disappearing with not really giving them any reason. So, I think the fact that they've seen us be there for five or eight years, they're willing to have a proper conversation and take on our feedback because we're just as aligned as they are. And for me, I think that resonates well. That's what investing should be. As I said, when we started, you want to own a business forever. That's the dream and that's the ambition. It's like being stood up by a date, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) A fund manager leaving, it's like, what did I say? What did I do? (laughs) Yeah, well, you speak to them. A lot of the time they say, oh, we're re-waiting or, you know, we're going to a new thematic or half the time they won't even get a response. It's not about you, it's me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it's funny though, but when the fund manager wants, you know, a meeting and all sorts of information, they expect it straight away. But as soon as they they leave, they don't want to hear from you again. Okay, well, this is all leading up to you speaking at the Shareholders Association Virtual Investment Forum coming up in November. I'm looking forward to it, actually. There's some good speakers and I think our topic is, you know, obviously quite different. I think it resonates well and and not something that people talk about too much these days. Sebastian, thanks very much for joining me today. No, thanks for the opportunity. Important. Please remember these podcasts are produced to provide information and education and they're not designed to provide financial advice, nor are they a recommendation to buy shares in the companies featured or discussed. The Australian Shareholders Association does not endorse or favour any specific commercial product or company. Please obtain independent professional advice before investing. We value your feedback and questions. Please contact us at share at asa.asn.au if you have any suggestions for guests or specific questions you'd like answered. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.